May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Robert Benchley has this law of distinction. He says this, There are two kinds of people in the world, those who believe there are two kinds of people and those who don't. <laughs> I like that, don't you? I saw a number of quotes from this, uh, this law of distinction. Um, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who think make things complicated and those who make things simple. I think that's true. It seems like there's a lot of truth to that. I seem to find um, not, the, not the trees in the forest, but the forest of the trees. So I kind of mess everything up backwards. I think I'm more the former than the latter. Um, there are two kinds of people in the world, uh, Abigail Van Buren says. Those who walk into the room and say, there you are. And those who walk into the room and say, here I am. I, I did a little mental inventory about people. I'm like, oh, yeah, that kind of works, doesn't it? Um, Mark Twain. There are basically two kinds of people in the world. Those who accomplish things and those who claim to have accomplished things. The first group, he says, is far less crowded. (laughs) I think there are also two types of people in the world. Those who are annoying and those who are interesting. Or we might say those who are repulsive and those who are attractive. You could probably put it in different ways. And I thought about what is it that makes some people, and you know what I'm talking about. You've been in that, um, that proximity. Don't point fingers at me because I'll be really upset if you do. But you've been in proximity to the person who only wants, you know, who, who never gives, only takes, um, who, who always looks for you to, to get something or whatever. You know, it's, it's always, I'm not saying that we don't share our needs with one another. I'm not saying that at all. You understand that, right? I'm talking about a person who only has one gear and it's always to take. Or someone who's super pushy, you know? Um, the salesperson who wants to sell you something you don't want to buy. You know, you've already decided, I don't want this, and they're still going to try to make you buy it. Um, Abby and I, one time, like in our early 20s, somebody said, you should go to this timeshare thing. They'll give you a whole weekend, and all you have to do is go to a 90-minute a, a sales presentation and just tell them no. Do you know how hard it is to say no with this thing, right? <laughs> We did, um, but uh, it was it was difficult. Somebody who pushes too hard, who 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 makes you feel like you're obligated to do something you don't want to do. Someone who's too arrogant. You know, you're on a person who's who's you know totally consumed with themselves. You know that uh, that gets rather old and and, and tiresome and, and makes you feel like oh no I I gotta find a way out of here. You know this has gotta this has gotta happen. But what about the other side? What, what about interesting people or attractive people, people who make you feel like you want to be in their presence? And, and one of the things I thought about is people who are enigmatic. You know, they're mysterious. You know, like they're, I've got to figure this person out because something about them that is different. I heard one time uh, a person say that um, a, a lot of young women uh, are attracted to a young man because he's, um, he's quiet and mysterious. And then they marry him, and they realize he's quiet because he has nothing to say. And there's not much mystery there at all. Um, yeah, my wife said amen. I think, I don't know. Um, I, I think there are people who are unusually knowledgeable, right? I mean, if you meet somebody and they have a Ph.D. in oceanography, I mean, for me, I'm like, I know nothing about the ocean. Tell me, you know, I'm a sponge. Sorry for the pun. Feed me. You know, I need I need to know this. And, and you know, those people who have, you know, great uh, storehouses of knowledge, you just want to get that from them. And, uh, and and if they can, you know, send it out in a way that's uh, helpful, yeah, all the more. 
people who are funny, comedic people, or people you want to be around. They keep you laughing and they make you happy. Those are great kind of qualities to have. I think, though, if St. Peter were saying that there are two kinds of people in the world, he might say there are those who are repulsive, but the opposite might be those who are provocative. People who are provocative in the world. And I think he would say that Christians, you might find this strange for me to say, Christians should be provocative people. We should be provocative among all people. And it begins this way. Embrace an ethos that is consistent with your Christian heritage. Have a a way of living. Um, In in Luke's gospel, there's a point where he says, um, and Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. The word custom in, in Greek is ethos. It's his habit, his manner, his usual uh, thing to do. Our ethos, our behavior um, ought to be consistent with Scripture. When I was a, a, a seminary student at Asbury, we had an ethos statement that you had to sign as a student at Asbury Seminary, I agree, to not do all the things that I sometimes like to do, you know. And uh, there, you couldn't do those, you know. There was, there was no beer on Saturday nights, not at Asbury, you know. This is, this is a no-no. Um, but it was important that, that Asbury said, this is what, this is what ought to, um, you know, be part of our behavior in the world. Here's what St. Peter says. The very first verse, verse 8, 1 Peter 3, finally... Um, you know what, finally, when, when a preacher says, fine, I, the, the definition of an optimist is the woman who slips her shoes back on when the preacher says, finally. You know, that is not finally. It's not happening. But here, St. Peter says, finally, in chapter 3, and then he goes on to write two more chapters of, 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 of the letter, finally, all of you, this is, um, this is in Greek, all y'all, uh, everybody, right? This is the emphatic, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. I think a better better language here, family love. A tender heart and a humble mind. Via positiva, the the, the way of, of the positive. What should we embrace that's a positive nature in terms of our ethos? First of all, to seek unity. That we seek and actually work for unity in the church. That when we find divisiveness, that, that we, we, we get away from it and we work with all of our heart towards a unified goal. Have sympathy. Feel one another's pains. Um, Greek, the, the, the prefix S-Y-M, is, it, sim, means together. Um, a symphony is from two Greek words. Uh, sim, the prefix, together, and, and phone. Um, with, with sound, one voice, uh, one sound, one, um, you know, musical note. So a symphony is, is literally many coming together as one. Sympathy to embrace and to share each other's pains, passions, literally each other's death. That we share together in one another's pain. Love one another with tenderness, he says. This brotherly love, this family love with tenderness. And I thought I hear that um, that sometimes we can um, we can develop skeptical and cynical kind of attitudes. One of the differences that I think a lot of these are these are misused. Uh, skepticism and cynicism are often kind of uh, interchanged uh, unnaturally. Skepticism is um, when you doubt the veracity of something, you doubt the truth of something. If I said, for instance, 
I have a 42-inch vertical leap. You would be like, hmm, <laughs> exactly, right? I'm not so sure about that, Joe. I, I, I doubt the, the, the veracity of that claim. There, there might not be a whole lot of truth in that statement. That's skepticism. If I said I have a 42-inch vertical leap and you were saying to yourself, what's his end? What's his game here? What, what, what's he trying to get out of this? That's cynicism. Cynicism is when we doubt one another's motives. We doubt the motive behind why someone says it. We wonder what's in it for them. Why are they saying this? But if we go at the world with cynicism and skepticism on the constant end, we lack charity. Charity is when we, we seek to believe, we seek to hope. Now, I know this can be naivete, and I'm not arguing for that, but I'm saying that, that we ought to have a disposition of love that, that, is, that seeks the truth and, and seeks to rejoice with people rather than to question them, that seeks to delight in, in truth and, and, and delight in whatever it is they're doing without questioning their motives for doing so. Charity assumes the best, and it goes at it from there. Embrace humility, he says. Humus, the earth. Be part of the earth. Recognize your, your position as, as created from the ground. That we all come from dirt. <laughs> we are. Some of us are dirtier than others. <laughs> but we all come from the dirt. I thought that was funny. Anyway, that we have the sense of, of being grounded in the earth. And you know the metaphors we use when people are not like that. Oh, they're all high and mighty. You know, they're looking down their nose at others. You know, this is a sense of, uh, of, of arrogance is, is high and lifted up, whereas humility is low and to the ground. Via positiva, do these things. But the via negativa, look at the next verse, do not, okay, this is a prohibition, right? Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Don't return evil for evil. When you are hurt, Peter is saying, don't hurt back. A friend of mine used to say, in fact, it was Doc Lewis used to say this. He used to say, Joe, hurt people, hurt people. (laughs) That's absolutely right, isn't it? That hurt people, hurt people. But if you're looking at that through a charitable lens, if someone is a a herder, they are uh, proliferating pain on other people, recognize that they're hurt themselves. That's the source of that, that hurt people hurt people. When you're hurt, St. Peter says, don't hurt back. Don't fight back. When someone gets at you, reviled you, when someone picks a fight with you, don't buy into it. Don't get into that fight. And in fact, you should expect something. If you would dare to live like this, Peter says, Christian church, finally, all y'all, if you would dare to live like this, you know what's going to happen? You are going to provoke the world. You are going to be provocative to the world. Listen to what he says in verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared. Always being ready. Okay? Ready to do what? To go out and to tell people everything? No. Ready to make a defense. Ready to answer a question. What is the question? To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that lies within you. Answering a question presumes a question, <laughs> right? That, that we, our lifestyle, our ethos ought to be so provocative to the world that people say to us, why in the world do you do what you do? Why do you do that? 
And you know what? You can get that. If someone hurts and hurts and hurts and you don't fight back, someone will say to you, you know what? You ought to fight back. Why are you not fighting back? There's a question. And the answer is, because Christ lives in me. You are not going out to tell people, to, to, to begin the conversation. You are answering a question. Why does she do that? Because Christ lives in her. Why do they do what they do? Because Christ is in that congregation. It's crazy. They really believe it. And they're living it out in a real and a practical ways. Be ready, Peter says. Be always ready. This isn't just stuck in the first century. This is you and me here in this world now. We have a mission. We have a mission to make disciples of all nations, to turn people towards God. This is what Paul is doing in the Areopagus, right? He shows up and starts preaching a sermon. Hey, you know, I notice all these things going on. How do we, how do we turn the world toward God? I'll tell you what, it's not by our liturgy. We have a great liturgy. It's not by spectacular preaching, <laughs> although I'd like to think it might. It's not by our music or any of these things. What will change the world, what will provoke the world, is the way that we live in the world. And we have to live in the world. We have to live in it. If you think of all your friends and you can't think of any of them that don't go to church, you need some more friends. Don't get rid of the ones you have, but you need some more. You need some people that if they came to church, you might be a little bit worried. Like, oh no, what are they going to do? I love it when somebody comes in that I can tell they've not been in church maybe ever in their life. I'm thrilled. And I know I'm thrilled for two reasons. One, because I know they get to hear the gospel maybe the first time. And I'm thrilled because I know the person who brought them is sweating. You know, like, oh no, what are they going to do? We need people like that. People like that in our lives. We are called to be ambassadors in the world for Christ. And there's only one way to do that, and it's to do it as Christ did it. That we live our life in community. And we are provocative by how we behave. This is it. Our ethos is our, it's our, our, our message. That we live out the gospel. We really live it. It makes a, a difference in everything that we do. From the way we plan our week, the way we spend our money, the way we do everything that we do is, is comes from who we are in Jesus Christ. Joy Mill says this, there are two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers. She says the difference is the takers eat well, but the givers sleep well. I like that, don't you? Two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers. The difference is the takers eat well and the givers sleep well. We have a mission and we have a mandate for how we carry out that mission not by being arrogant or annoying or enigmatic or even clever. These are not the ways in which we're to carry out our mission. We are to provoke people by the way that we live. Uh, several years ago, I was here. I was, uh, um, while I was here, I, when we were still part of the Anglican Mission in America, um, I went to Houston, Texas for the annual winter conference. I don't remember what year that was. I don't know if any of you went. I don't remember, right? Oh, I think Hal went. I remember that now. Anyway, so I'm at the, at the Anglican uh, Mission Winter Conference in Houston, Texas, and we were all in this one hotel, and um, I was really thirsty. So I went downstairs um, to this, um, this uh, you know, uh, tavern in the, in the um, hotel to, uh, to get something to drink. But I was just dressed in regular, like, you know, street clothes, no, no collar, nothing. And I was talking to the bartender, and I, he, I said to him, you guys are really busy this week. You know, I sort of feigned like I wasn't part of the group. 
And he's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. He's like, some big church conference. And he says, well, you wouldn't believe it. These people are really different. I said, really? Different how? He said, I don't know. It's, it's weird. They drink a lot. Um, he said, but he said, there's such a peace about them. He said, I, don't, I just don't know what to do with that. And he was, he was, you know, had no idea that I was part of it. I think when we live like that, and it's so provocative to people that they see it and they know that there's a difference, it causes them to ask the question, why? Why are you like that? One more quote. Frederick William Favre says this, Kindness has converted more sinners than either zeal or eloquence or learning. If you read closely, the the lesson this morning, St. Paul goes to the Areopagus. All these philosophers are there. He goes in and he starts to have a theological discussion. You know what the end of the section says? And a few people believed. Most of them didn't. Some said, come back, we'll talk about this some more. Others laughed and mocked at him. You know, eloquence and learning, zeal, those are important things, important traits. I wish that we would all have them in spades. But kindness has converted more sinners than any of those. I think St. Peter would say to that, Amen. And I could hear um, our old buddy, uh, Paul Thilo. I think he would say, Amen and Amen. And I say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.